0: I'm John, and this is D-O-L-W-2, Episode 63, The Rite of Sodomy, and I'll be reading from The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church, by Randy Engel, Volume 2, pages 409 to 420, Cruising for Anonymous Assignations. The German sexologist and self-avowed homosexual Magnus Hirschfeld, in his 1912 text, The Natural Laws of Love, proffered that sex tends to polygamy while love tends to monogamy. His insight is helpful in understanding why, despite all the media hype about homosexual unions and homosexual marriages, homosexuals still prefer anonymous sex and open relationships rather than monogamous ones. In the August 26, 2003 issue of the Washington Blade, columnist Ryan Lee reported that a limited study of attitudes of Canadian male homosexuals toward monogamy demonstrated a preference for open relationships. He cited a talk titled Relationship Innovation in Male Couples, given by Barry Adam a self-described gay professor at the University of Windsor in Canada to the American Sociological Association. According to Adam, gay culture allows men to explore different, more successful forms of relationships besides the monogamy coveted by heterosexuals. Younger men tend to start with the vision of monogamy because they are coming from with a heterosexual script in their head and are applying it to relationships with men, Adam explained. What they don't see is that the gay community has their own sick, own order, and own ways that seem to work better, he concluded. For many homosexuals, strangers in the night offer a satisfactory, albeit more dangerous, but exciting alternative to same-sex monogamy. The art of cruising, urban cruising, of gay and hustler Bars, baths, and tea rooms, public toilets, as well as city parks and beaches, streets, and popular landmarks is the traditional means of finding anonymous same-sex partners. The gay bar, the most widely known of all homosexual social institutions, is part of the billion-dollar industry that has grown up around the vice of homosexuality in the United States. In gay bars, sex is usually for free. There is that is there is a mutually acknowledged reciprocity of sex for sex in hustler bars sex of any kind is strictly for money here the non-gay homosexual clientele seeks out the services of lower class straight trade uncomplicated sex in which he who pays dictates the terms of engagement many of these bars cater to a specialized clientele such as the leather crowd or macho bars, macho, macho bikers, or aging queens. Although sexual activity may take place on the premises, it is usually discouraged by the management, since the gay bars function primarily in meeting places where homosexuals can drink, dance, and socialize and arrange assignations for the night or weekend. The lighting is dim and verbal communication optional. Pornographic films. Replaced the televised sports events to eroticize the atmosphere of the establishment. Well endowed male dancers, female impersonators, and comedians provide the entertainment. A number of these bars are owned and operated by organized crime. In the case of gay ownership, as was the case with the Stonewall Inn, special arrangements and functional and financial payoffs to law enforcement officials help keep police harassment and rage to a minimum. Gay bathhouses are a source, gay bathhouses are a source, gay bathhouses are a horse of a completely different color. Here a large number of impersonal sexual encounters can be had cheaply with little or no social contact and an atmosphere of relative safety. The typical basic bath includes a locker room where one exchanges his clothes or a towel. Nakedness is a great social leveler. Showers and small rooms or stalls for facilitating anonymous sex. The homosexual assumes a pose that indicates the desired sex act he prefers and waits for willing partners. Upper-class baths have screening rooms for viewing pornographic films, large orgy rooms for group sex, and specialized areas for carrying out S&M and BND activities. The baths make it easier for aging homosexuals to find sex partners and serves as as an inexpensive place for clients to bring their own rent boys. During the mid-1980s, as the height of the AIDS epidemic, National bathhouse franchises, like the Club Baths chain, refused to close their doors. Instead, their owners made large donations to AIDS groups, posted safe sex posters on bathhouse walls, and distributed condoms that homosexuals are universally disinclined to use. As an AIDS activist and journalist, Randy Schultz plainly stated in his epic saga on the AIDS epidemic, and the band played on, Homosexuals from coast to coast were also adamantly opposed to public health departments shutting down bathhouses. Schultz called them biological cesspools for infection and sex clubs, even though it could save lives because of the political ramifications of such actions. Out-of-the-way public toilets, known as tea rooms, are in parks, theaters, bus, and train terminals on university campuses and office buildings in large urban cities provide another place where homosexuals can obtain quick, anonymous sexual gratification with like-minded gents usually in the form of fellatio. subtle cues are used to help with mutual identification. According to Lord Humphreys, author of Tea Room Trade, men who engage in such activity are attracted, not put off, by the dangers of soliciting sex in public toilets, including arrest, public exposure, robbery, assault, and blackmail. One of the homosexual collective's responses to the AIDS epidemic was the establishment of a nationwide network of jack-off clubs where homosexuals can masturbate en communot in community. According to AIDS sociologist Michael Pollack, Ph.D., this innovative approach to practical instruction in group sex practices that are very important to a significant minority of men Having sex with men was first developed in the U.S. during the early 1980s and then spread to Western Europe. The happening involves somewhere between 100 to 200 men, including HIV-positive men, who learned to perfect their masturbation skills alone and with others. These gatherings are also perfect occasions for voyeurism and exhibitionism as positive alternatives to risk practices, said Pollock. In addition to providing haven for safer sex, they provide a safe place for mutualized and collective sexual activities that gay men seek, pondered Pollock. Pollock died of AIDS in 1992. Following on the heels of the feminist movement, there are also gay masturbation clinics where homosexuals can plummet anew the mystical depths of new forms of sex expression. Not all homosexual socialization takes place in the public sphere. Private homes, especially those of the rich and famous, can offer a more exclusive and relaxed atmosphere for meeting potential same-sex partners. In his biography of the controversial photographer-artist Robert Mapplethorpe, Jack Frischer, famous in his own right as a founder and editor-emeritus of the Homosex Pop Culture Journal Drummer, described one such happening on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, hosted by a television network name. According to Frischer, one afternoon Robert took him to a secret orgy to observe the latest trends in homosexuality, satanism, and sadomasochism. He said Robert, his lover, was obsessed with all three. According to Frischer, the guest list was impressive. Frischer admitted he was very curious about the escalating urban publicity of liberated gay men. "'Fisting is not the last taboo incorporated into male sportif—sport-fucking. "'Now there is scatology from ritual anointing to communion, "'the latest rage among sexual sophisticates who pay Robert Court,' he explained. "'Taking center stage at the affair was a sculpture by Nancy Grossman "'of a head wrapped in black leather bondage.' with a possibly added large leather dildo protruding from its mouth, reported Fritcher. The host had invited some young men for primary material, one of which was covered with seed, he said. Drugs flowed, men groaned, and civilization was left behind, Fritcher recalled. At one point, Fritcher, a former Catholic seminarian, recognized that Robert had pushed him into the into the game a little too far. He felt he was in danger of losing his sanity to the dangerous forces of darkness. The New York sex style is much nastier than San Francisco's, Fritcher later admitted. In the end, Fritcher recalled, he was so grossed out and sick from speed that Robert had to get him dressed, call a cab, and take him to his studio where he stripped and photographed his hapless young protege. Homosexuality, violence, and criminality. The ex jesuit John J. McNeil, in his most popular pro-homosexual apologias, The Church and the Homosexual and Taking a Chance on God, has put forth a Jungian view of homosexuals as gentle creatures who possess special qualities, including that of peacefulness because they are non-combative and lack normal male aggression. According to McNeil, homosexuals can make an important contribution to building a more humane society because they have the possibility of escaping the negative influence of the prevailing male identity. The homosexual community is potentially free from the psychological need to establish their male identity by means of violence. This ability, however, is linked to and conditioned by their ability to accept and celebrate their sexuality. A self-accepting homosexual community could make a positive and even decisive contribution to bringing violence within control in our society. The wishful thinking of McNeil aside, the reality is that the homosexual world is historically and universally a world of violence and criminality. It is an expression of aggression of the aggrieved Mark by self of degree marked by self-punishment and masochistic behaviors, as Delay reminds us. Moreover, it is a violence that begins at home. Domestic violence. Despite the wide publicity given to hate crimes against homosexuals, love crimes, that is, domestic acts of violence, including assault, rape, attempted murder, and homicide between homosexual partners, are the most common form of violence within the gay community. Although the homosexual collective is wont to blame society for fomenting internalized homophobia as the primary cause of friction between homosexual partners, the real and immediate causes of gay domestic violence, aside from the obvious problems of substance abuse, are more subtle. Every homosexual is a prima donna, Burglar once remarked. His affinity for injustice collecting and his irrational jealousy combined with attitudes of ungratefulness make for domestic discord, Burglar added. Many times the masochistic basis for the homosexual relationship is veiled in paternalistic attitude, he said. One homosexual plays the protector and the other the protected. The father loves his little boy. But when injustices are collected and the relationship is brought to true light, each partner feels masoch- masochistically maltreated, mistreated, misunderstood, and made a victim of ingratitude, Burglar observed. The sympathetic Father Ginder, a convicted pederist, has suggested that homosexual violence between partners can be attributed to the phenomenon omna animal post-quitum trista. Criminals, animals, feel let down after sex, and they need to recharge. (coughs) Sometimes this letdown is translated into disgust and guilt, says Ginder, and may account for the mayhem and murder so often associated with casual sex among the gays. That domestic battering between partnered male homosexuals and, (coughs) and lesbians should be deliberately hidden from public view and grossly ignored by the homosexual collective, is understandable. News of in-house violence that has become endemic within homosexual partnerships is bad publicity for the collective and lesbian feminist groups and tends to discourage new recruits to the gay life. Nevertheless, the well-kept secret of homosexual violence is gradually being forced out of the closet. For example, the 2002... Center for Disease Control report on STDs and AIDS cited earlier made two references to partner violence as a serious psychosocial health problem of homosexuals. Homosexual activists David Island, Ph.D., and Patrick Latelier, M.A., have written a lengthy book on Homosexual Domestic Violence, Men Who Beat the Men Who Love Them. And there are a growing number of websites, including the Gay Men's Domestic Violence Project, GMDVP, and Gay and Lesbian Resources, GLR, managed by Richard Neolin, Ph.D., that are devoted to the problem. Dr. Newlin reported that during the first year, 1987, that the San Francisco Police Department began to collect statistics on homosexual and lesbian domestic violence, sometimes referred to as mutual combat. No less than 100 calls a month were received, despite the fact that such cases are systematically underreported. Anywhere between 12% to 30. percent 9% of homosexual partnerships involve domestic battering, Neolin said. Factors listed by Neoland that are commonly associated with homosexual domestic violence include substance abuse, gender responsibilities, conflicts, cognitive and social di- isolation, religious discrimination, and the absence of familial report- support. Ireland and L'Atelier, who consider the problem of homosexual male Domestic violence, third only to AIDS and substance abuse, estimates that approximately 500,000 gay men per year are battered by violent partners. They confirmed that the subject is a taboo topic, largely ignored by public health authorities and physicians, and avoided by the homosexual collective because, if widely known, it would merely fuel the fires of anti-gay discrimination from the heterosexual world. In addition to physical abuse, the abusive partner may inflict emotional or psychological harm on his partner by the use of insulting, shaming, and humiliating language and remarks. Threats to harm his partner's pets or children or he might threat to out his partner to family employers and others. In 1999, the GMDVP in- initiated a Who Loves Me Not anti-abuse ad campaign to- in the gay press to highlight the seriousness of homosexual partner violence. The organization's sexual second annual survey of over 2,000 men at Boston Pride 97 found that one in four gay men have experienced domestic violence. The GMDVP reported that the male victim of such abuse has a sufficient, has a difficult time separating from a violent partner since many of his resources, that is money, housing, transportation, and support structures may be eroded by the abusive relationship. The DVP website includes two stories of survivors of gay sexual violence. 22-year-old Dennis experienced systematic beatings and sexual abuse from his lover, Alex, over a period of years that resulted in broken ribs, a broken jaw, a ruptured spleen, torn intestines, and life-threatening internal bleeding. Dennis said that despite his 82 days of accumulated hospital time, never once was he asked by his attending physician if he were a victim of domestic violence. Kurt said his destructive relationship with Gary, a drug and alcohol abuser, lasted three and a half years, during which time he was subject subject to violent physical attacks, attempted rape, and a series of death threats. Kurt only felt safe telling his story after Gary had killed himself by hanging. Drug Use and Abuse and Other Criminal Attractions Urban gay life in the United States is closely connected to the activity of the criminal underworld. Illegal drugs, pornography, male prostitution, blackmail, robbery, rape, murder, homicides, and suicides. As Colin Wilson has observed, homosexuality is an antisocial act. The homosexual is attracted to crime because his... Because it is yet another area of the forbidden, he explained. Eric Holland was correct when he observed, if a drug is out there, male homosexuals use it. AIDS activist Larry Kramer, author of the mordant satire comedy Faggots, had his alter ego, Fred Lemish, utter practically the same word. You name it, somebody's on it. Alcohol, a depressant has traditionally been the homosexual's number one drug of choice followed closely by chemical inhalants or poppers such as amyl nitrate and butyl nitrate an illegal substance that increase blood circulation and induce tachycardia giving the uh, User the illusion of prolonged and more pleasurable orgasm. Cocaine, coke, or crack, heroin, marijuana, masculine, hashish, methadone, crystal, methamphetamine, speed, PCP, phenocyclidine, or angel dust, lysergic acid, diethylamide, LSD, MDMA, ecstasy gamma hydroxybutrate DBH, or fantasy, are all popular recreational drugs used in the urban homosexual underworld, both in the United States and abroad. Polydrug drug use is the norm among homosexuals. That is, many homosexuals use more than one drug, and they use them in combination with one another. <clears throat> one set of drugs is for socialization purposes at circuit parties, and another is gay social events, and other gay social events. Another grouping are sex drugs that are used to enhance sexual functioning. Nitrates, for example, relax the internal anal sphincter muscle to prevent the insertion of a fist or two and other large objects into the anal canal. Finally, there are drugs used to come down, such as quaaludes, librium, and valium, To reduce anxiety and promote sleep, drugs can be inhaled, swallowed, smoked, injected, or placed in the anal cavity like a suppository. In the homosexual life, community drug taking is largely a social event that one does with friends or sex partners. Information on drug use comes from a variety of sources, including friendship and user networks, the gay press, and personal experience. Habituated drug use takes its toll on the human body and contributes to the health woes of homosexuals and their already beleaguered immune system. Also, illegal drug use is a principal factor in the arrest of homosexuals during police raids of gay bars. Homosexual pornography. Like drugs, the use of homosexual pornography is a normalized feature of gay life. Since World War II and the mass migration of homosexuals to key port cities in the United States, there has been an increased market for beefcake or meat track productions, euphemisms for hardcore porn in the trade. Today, same-sex porn is the fastest growing market in the multi-billion dollar adult entertainment industry with links to organized crime. Gay men's porn, GM porn, serves important functions in both in the lives of the homosexual and for the homosexual collective. According to John R. Berger, author of One-Handed Histories and an aficionado of gay male performance genres, gay sex via gay porn abets the deconstruction of heterosexual norms. His opinion concurs with that of Rueda who has stressed the important role that homosexual pornography in all its manifestations has played in the transformation of contemporary sexual mores and practices and the corruption of society, the family, and the individual in the unrestricted pursuit of pleasure. According to Berger, the once highly privatized and marginalized sexual experience of gay men has permeated the American public's consciousness via the mass dissemination and availability of gay porn which can be found at the local video outlet. Today, there are very few gay bars anywhere in the world without a screen showing GM porn in the background. In the United States and abroad, leading homosexual activists like Britain's Peter Tatchell have been at the forefront of challenging repressive anti-pornography laws. According to Tatchell, uh, such laws censor sexual imagery and seek to impose a self-hating puritanical dogma of orthodox morality on homosexuals and non-homosexuals alike. Although GM porn does not normally mobilize gays for overt political action, said Berger, it does make a political statement and serves a dimension of political practice by subliminally promoting a sense of political awareness, and increased political aggressiveness in gay male viewers. GM porn can stimulate potent political action against the oppression of the patriarchy, Berger asserted. For each, jack-off to GM porn is a political statement. Modern GM porn, Berger insisted, also serves as a form of historiography and helps to record and demonstrate gay sexual practices, culture, social life, fashion, and ideology, while at the same time rewriting American history. It is also instrumental in deconstructing new erotic trends and gay practices, he says. In constructing new erotic trends and gay practices, he says. Obviously, the homosexual collective including his lesbian cohort, has no problem with pornography since its own raison for existence is maximizing erotic pleasure. As for the individual homosexual, Berger quotes from Richard Dyer's essay, Male Gay Porn, Coming to Terms, that homosexual porn shows that homosexual acts are good, not perverse, as society suggests, and makes life bearable for millions of gay men. GM porn is an indispensable tool for autoerotic use and the inducement of same-sex masturbatory fantasies for male homosexuals. It also plays a special role in the seduction process of homosexual pederasts who use homosexual and sometimes heterosexual pornographic materials in combination with alcohol and drugs to desensitize their intended young victims and arouse their sexual curiosity and excitement homoporn hypermasculine not gay in the commercial gm porn industry the term gay porn is somewhat of an anachronism since the universal image of the ideal quality of a male porn male porn star in same sex films is hypermasculinity not gayness pornography aimed at bisexual and gay men is very specific about male body male body type Gay male fantasies do not allow room for out-of-shape bodies, small penises, or ugly faces. Edison W. Dotson, author of Behold a Man, The Hype and Selling of Male Beauty in Median Culture, has noted, The idealized sex partner in GM porn is the young white mesomorph, he, sta- he said. Body-shaped body GM porn, does not teach homosexuals how to have sex, says Dodson, but rather what type of men with whom they should be having sex, and also what gay men must do to their bodies to be considered sexy. As noted by Berger, GM porn rarely manifests qualities of feminization. Since the 1990s, he said, the trend in homosexual porn is to minimize narrative and maximize sexual performance. The marketable erotic image for GM porn is masculine. More than that, it is hypermasculine. Berger reported. The male gay porn star is very sexually competent, he said. There are some drag films that have been produced for comic relief, he says, but the drag scene is just a sexual gimmick. Since these drag queens are normally top men, that is, they retain their power and level of masculinity. As a whole, Berger asserted effeminate queers have not been embraced by the gay porn industry, although this might change in the future as they make their alleged needs better known. Homosexual porn, like heterosexual male porn, puts great emphasis on dominant submissive themes, especially GM porn of the sadomasochist bondage discipline genre. In The Sexual Outlaw, homosexual writer John Retchie quoted a gay filmmaker who told him every porno flick, no matter how lyrically it deals with gay love, has to have at least one S&M scene to make it, even if it even if the only way you can get it is to have two guys beating each other up in the neighboring room. Berger defended the sexual practices of leather folk by insisting that only non-practitioners consider these practices, that is, whipping, scorching, cuttings, electrical shock, and strangulations as acts of violence. These sexual retardates, he suggested, Fail to appreciate the cathartic, ecstatic, and spiritual aspects of S&M and B&D, consensual sex play, and the concept that erotic pain is the complementary of erotic pleasure and one must explore both to achieve psychosexual liberation. Leather tribe films, Berger said, are vital warehouses of gay male S&M culture, psychical, historical, and practical knowledge. They are specific and highly charged examples of gay male popular memory, which, once seen, are not quickly forgotten, he acknowledged. On the negative side, Berger did mention that GM porn reflects the general prejudices of the homosexual collective at large, specifically racism and ageism blacks and other minorities are usually portrayed in a pejorative way he said and the cut-off age for most gay male porn stars is the mid-twenties the exception being leather films in which the dominant partner is traditionally an older man who possesses the skills and knowledge necessary to inflict pain and humiliation on his partner without harming him since 1987 the gm Porn industry has been forced to come to grips with AIDS and so-called safe-sex practices, including condom use during anal penetration and oral copulation. It also has had to protect its financial investment in its own stable of porn superstars that include both homosexual and heterosexual men, Berger said. In some cases, stand-ins euphemistically referred to as butt or penis doubles are hired for close ups of these sex acts. Close up of these sex acts. However, virtually all GM porn directors acknowledge that safe sex practices diminish the erratic quality of their work. And therefore there is pressure to minimize or totally ignore the dangers inherent in unprotected multi partnered homosex confided burger. A distressing aspect of Visual and written homosexual pornography is a consistent glorification and romanticizing of male rape, usually of a younger man by an older, more experienced homosexual predator. As Frank Browning wrote in The Culture of Desire, a few minutes into almost any gay leather porn flick, one encounters the macho dudes who beat their boys into submission, slapping them hard across the jaw and the ass. Yanking a mouth to a macho crotch as he yanked on one moans, yeah daddy, yeah. Male prostitution. Same-sex prostitution in 21st century America remains what it has always been, a form of institutionalized exploitation where older boys and young men sexually service older men. Unlike the poorer nations of the world, where most male prostitutes, now referred to as sex workers, uh, are heterosexuals willing to perform homosexual acts for money. In the United States, the majority of male prostitutes are in fact homosexuals, although some try to avoid the label and or pass themselves off as straight. According to Donald J. West, who conducted studies in London on male prostitution, given the high premium that their clients put on youth and good looks, the career of a male hustler is relatively short, and he is most likely to get out of it sooner rather than later. As a rule, male youth enter the sex market in their late teens, although there are some whose entry age is 14 or younger. There are few working prostitutes after the age of 25, West said. Their sole motivation is to make money to live, West said. A pattern of family disruption that includes negative parental relationships, emotional deprivation, alcoholism, drug use, violence and poverty, and abusive institutionalized care, orphanages, foster care facilities, are two common denominators found in the background of young male street hustlers, West reported. In turn, an antisocial attitude of rebellion, drug use, and petty crime by the homosexual oriented youth contributed to friction within his family, prompting him to either run away or be incarcerated. According to West, homeless and rootless young males gravitate toward large urban regions with well-established gay populations and strong street boy trades. With poor educational backgrounds and no marketable employment skills, they soon find themselves turning to prostitution as a means of earning quick money in order to survive, he said. Another important factor in terms of the direction and motivation of Kings who turn to prostitution, including heterosexual youth, is a background of homosexual sex initiation and sex abuse at the hands of an older man, including family members, male adults with whom they are acquainted, and strangers. In the West study, most street hustlers reported that their first sexual experience was a homosexual one. Although the circumstances of their sexual initiation varies widely, a significant number of young hustlers have reported incidents of sex abuse in institutionalized settings such as jail, group homes, and industrial schools for delinquent boys, orphanages, foster homes, and boarding schools. Virtually all these incidents were successfully concealed by the perpetrators and went unreported and unprosecuted, said West. In cases involving but nonviolent sexual seduction of homosexual youth, there is a tendency for these young men to view the incident in a more positive way, given their homosexual orientation, even though under the law, sex with minors by an adult is a criminal offense, West noted. West also pointed out that as a rule, unlike female prostitutes, male street sex workers do not have pimps. They work alone in designated cruising areas of the city. Some some as rough trade from lower class backgrounds who dress in leather and prefer sexual domination, and others as young queens who wear makeup and employ effeminate gestures and employ a camp lexicon. Details of sexual transactions with strangers include an agreement on acts to be performed. Place and price are negotiated on the spot or at a nearby gay bar. Some rough traders or fag workers refuse to play the passive role and be penetrated, and almost all balk at bondage, fisting and urinating or defecating on clients, reported West. If a young male prostitute is unusually handsome or intelligent and charming and physically well-endowed, West said, he may advance up the social and economic ladder to the status of a rent or trophy boy, to a wealthy patron. Some gain this lucrative position through ads placed in gay newspapers and publications and others by pure chance. Their clients or sponsors, as they are euphemistically referred to, are generally well-off, middle-aged and older homosexuals seeking sex and companionship and an opportunity to live vicariously through their younger partners. In return, the young man can expect plenty of hard, cold cash plus a plethora of perks, including expensive entertainment, cars, gifts, and vacations. One of the most infamous tofu boys of modern times was accused killer Andrew Cunanan, a.k.a. Andrew De Silva, a well-known gay gigolo who catered to the sexual appetites of wealthy homosexual professionals in the San Diego area, including members of a closeted gay fraternity of Old men known as Gamma Mu. In the summer of 1997, Cunnan went on a three-month cross-country killing spree that claimed the lives of six men, including his ex-lover, David Matson, the only person in the world he had ever really loved, and openly, openly gay Italian fashion designer, Gianni Versace, and himself. During and after. His the Cunanana murders the Miami gay community publicly disavowed Andrew as not being one of us. The sad fact is he was in addition to these amateur and semi-professional male prostitutes are those who are hired to work for a to work a regular paid schedule in homosexual brothels or male escort or modeling agencies. Occupational hazards for male hustlers. Betting strangers is a dangerous occupation, more so for the youthful male hustler and his adult client than for female prostitutes. West reported there is always the fear for his personal safety and health of confrontation with the law for loitering or soliciting and are not generating enough money to pay for food and other basic living essentials the contraction of life-threatening aids hiv and hepatitis is a primary and ongoing concern especially since older male homosexuals are more likely to engage in high-risk behaviors such as anal copulation and snm d practices with young prostitutes than with their regular partners. The high rate of alcoholism and illegal drug use among male sex workers further compromises their welfare. The murder of male prostitutes by their clients following hassles over payment or disagreements over sexual services to be performed, and vice versa, the murder and robbery of clients or punters by rough trade is not uncommon. For example, the famous Italian poet and master filmmaker filmmaker, Pier Paolo Pasolini, 53, Darling of the Left, was murdered in November 1975 by a handsome 17-year-old pickup from the lower classes, Giuseppe Pelosi, nicknamed Pino. The two men got into a violent struggle when Pasolini fellated Pino, then insisted on performing anal sex on the youth. Pino refused. He beat up Pasolini and then ran him over with a car. At Pelosi's trial, it was claimed that he had been warned about Pasolini's penchant for sodomy, but Pino said Pasolini's celebrity status and his fast cars attracted him. Because of his youth and because of Pasolini's reputation for violent sex, Pino received a light sentence of just over 10 years. He was released in July 1983. Some young prostitutes become the victims of gang rape. Others may fall victim to serial killers like John Wayne Gacy, himself a homosexual, who tortured, mutilated, and murdered over 33 boys and young men who looked and who looked upon rent boys as greedy little bastards who have to be out smarted in the game in a game of wits. Another tor- notorious homosexual murderer, Jeffrey Dahmer, solicited tortured, mutilated, strangled and cannibalized at least 17 young homosexuals and heterosexual youth over a period of 13 years before police arrested him on July 22, 1991, although the average street although the average street hustler is generally equipped unequipped to chance blackmail. This is not true of the ex-trophy boy who is capable of successfully extorting money from wealthy or celebrity sponsors and who do not wish to be outed. Large blackmail rings of homosexual men have been uncovered in large cities such as New York City and Washington, D.C. Carlin has estimated that somewhere between 10 to 15 percent of male homosexuals face the threat of blackmail during their lifetime and this concludes my podcast for now i'll so i'll end my podcast here our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil amen Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless this podcast, and may the Holy Spirit use it to touch people's hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.